people ask me, you know, specifically about the commercial aspect of work and I'm like more than half the projects I've done, I've made them for myself. They haven't, didn't land on my lap. And the best ones, I actually built them <laughs> just from scratch and found somebody to believe in it. <laughs> that lovely nugget, my friends, was from Mr. Alex Stroll, an amazing photographer, entrepreneur, and dear friend of mine for a long time. This episode, we talk about all kinds of things from how to create the best art in your life to how to be the best parent and the best human, how to create fulfillment inside as opposed to just success. Now back to yours truly and Alex Stroll. Good buddy, Alex. Welcome to the show, man. It's been a minute. Nice to see your face. Chase, thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. Although, you know, I think we're overdue for a proper catch-up. We are. And uh, I think, well, there's a lot of things we want to talk about. Uh, lot, uh, numerous uh, reasons to have you on the show, not the least of which is you are a very accomplished artist uh, across specifically <laughs> photography, but you've also, as an entrepreneur, built some companies, uh, one that uh, I leading creative live not too long ago acquired. Um, and so we should talk a little bit about that. And of course, um, there's, you know, that, that there are, um, stories, the story behind the story, uh, and you got a lot of stuff going on in your life. You just had a new baby. Um, yeah. So plenty to talk about. Uh, thank you for being on the show for the few who may not be familiar with you or your work. Maybe you can start off by talking just very generally, um, you know, how do you describe you yourself, the work that you do, and maybe the, the um, which is probably the reason you're, you're on the show, you're a guest here, right? It's because you've, you've excelled at something, but tell us a picture, describe it, describe a picture rather of um, who you are, what you do. Yeah. You know, I've always, I always say that I don't have a real job. <laughs> it's just to me, it's still all the photography is absolutely legitimate as a as an as an industry and enterprise. To me, it still doesn't feel like a real job. You know, I'm always like, ah, one day I'll just you know, sort of close up the old shop and then just go get a job somewhere because it'll, it'll be it'll be an interesting experience. Uh, so I'm still pinching myself to this day about the life that I get to live, but it came with a lot of sacrifices and a lot of. Yeah, just a lot of consequences. Um, but it was, I mean, yeah, I'm a photographer, just like you know, just like you are. I'd like to also talk about that one day with you. <laughs> Where's that in your life? And and I just shoot, you know, commercial work. Now, the best, the best one is when people in elevators ask you, what kind of photography do you do? <laughs> you know that one. So even to this day, I don't have a real answer. I just name drop a few people like Canon and usually kind of, you know, let leads the conversation to a good place. People understand a little bit more what I do. So that's in a nutshell what I do. So that is a uh, excellent description <laughs> of what you do. And I think embedded in there is the complications around when you have a job that I think many who are listening or watching would aspire to, you know, this this universe that infuses or that combines your passions with your area of expertise and um, versus the traditional J-O-B that a lot of us were raised that this is the thing that you have to go on do is get a quote job and these neat things that you do that you love are hobbies on the side. When you do have <laughs> that life, I find that people often 
maybe even everyone struggles to describe to others when they say, what do you do? You can say concretely, I'm a photographer, but when there is a belief deep in your heart, there's sort of, I'll call it a feeling of just genuine joy and gratitude that you get to do this. This is how you actually earn money. Do you feel like this is a, um, something that is lucky? Is it, should we get better at describing it and saying who we are and what we want to do? Is this uh, a norm that is leaving that, that is going to be more and more popular rather that, you know, that, that the normal job and what, what the future looks like is more people who have a career that looks like the careers that you and I have. Hmm. I think this is a, a multifaceted topic with multiple answers. I do think there's two things really. First one is that I'm a romantic and I don't even for myself want to define my job too much because I, I, I am comfortable in ambiguity. I'm comfortable in this space where it's things are a bit blurry on the sides because it gives me more freedom. You can craft more things. So even for me, I don't, I'm not too sure. I don't really sit down and think about what my job is. I just do it. There are aspects that are tedious and, and difficult, and those are the ones that I really take pride in actually learning to love. You know, like the tedious part of photography, because you're thirty percent of the time you're shooting photos, but seventy percent of the time you're not. So that other aspect there. And second, I think in the last few years, a lot of people have realized that taking photos is a lot more fun than you know stacking cinder blocks on foundations, for example. So it seems like there is a you know an increase in in the cost to build things that are physical. I've noticed. I'm trying to build a sauna here, okay, <laughs> and it just seems like I'm asking to have a palace built. Um, where a few years ago it would have been a totally different answer, uh, just because I got quotes a few years ago. So that to me is telling me, and then see at the same time the advent of, you know, TikTok and Reels and a lot of people pursuing these careers as, you know, trendsetters of the internet and just making photos, you know, the photo is not the mean to an end anymore. It's just the vehicle, the message. So seeing that, it's telling me that things are, you know, things are changing and there's a lot more people getting into this. Yes. So let's pull on that thread a little bit because... There's a lot in there and I want to specifically focus on you saying that the art is 30%. I, I actually consider that number exceedingly high for <laughs> someone who gets to spend 30% of their time taking photos and only 70% on the, all the other stuff. And mm -hmm. what I also heard you say is that you take pride, I think was the right word, in having you know, gotten good at the other stuff, mm. Just go, you know, or maybe I'm putting some words in your mouth that you didn't say, but go deeper with that. Like, I think this mm. is the thing that most people don't understand and you've had well, to learn these things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's that Henry Ford quote, you know, quality is doing it right when no one's looking. You know, that one is always one that echoes with me because it's true that a lot of time in a photography business operation, you're doing stuff that, nobody's going to notice when, even when it comes to editing photos or the way you deliver your images or the way you present you do your presentations what font are you using just things like that you know that i love and obsess about 
And I know nobody's going to notice whether I use Sophia Bold or Sophia Medium as a fund, but I will. So it's to me, it's important to get good at. I mean, if we had to say, okay, if we had to jam now, what is the 70%? So I, I'll go for it. I'll say that there's some accounting, there's some tax strategy. There is website management. There is your own marketing. There is the stuff you sell yourself meaning the direct-to-consumer stuff, prints, books, merch, whatever you want to sell, managing that, shipping, logistics, <laughs> that already is a lot of time, right? And then if you have employees, managing them as well and being able to discuss what a payroll is and what it costs. you know. And then you have the other side, which is pitching clients and also once, because doing the pitch to me is the easy thing, right? Selling the idea, easy. But now going and executing it, delivering it on time and making sure that, you've said what you were going to do or better, that is way more difficult to people like me, at least. I'm going to then, I'm going to rework your number because I think all the things you just described take up more than 70% of your time. <laughs> you're going to break the, break the, you're going to break the dream for me here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for someone who's listening, I think this is, this makes sense, right? They go, okay, cool. I can grasp this. And yet... Uh, my personal experience and for the listener who's saying, yeah, you know, figuring out all those things, what is payroll and how do you you know, pitch a client? And like that could possibly bring listener or watcher. And I can say for myself that it definitely brings me more joy than working on something that is abstract where I am not learning new skills that I am going to do in service of a J-O-B for somebody else. There's just a, an interest to me, even the tough work, the difficult work, the work that's not in our sweet spot or that we think of as tedious that accommodates, you know, the part of the, the photo taking that we like. For some reason, I have more tolerance and appetite for that than I'll just call bullshit busy work that I have done for others or that I would do if I was in a different job. Would you agree with that statement? And if so, why is that the case? Why is it easier for us to grind on things that are helping that 30% photo taking, if that's the case? Or I, I'm, I'm going to say 10%. I'll, I'll let you have 30. <laughs> well, I do think that's what puts you in the position you are now, right? That's what led you to make Creative Live and start your shows and be one of the YouTube photography pioneers, you know, of, of the days, right? I remember watching your videos when I was in college, right? Chases on a helicopter, chases in can. I was like, oh, that sounds cool, you know? So <laughs> I think all that you're describing that sort of, I wouldn't call it, I don't like the word hustle, but that curiosity for all these other things, which are the thing itself, oh, this sounds really vague, but you know, th th that are the product itself in this changing times where you were in 2009, for example, uh, was what made you who you are. And that's it for me as well, you know, is, I mean, people ask me, you know, specifically about the commercial aspect of work and I'm like more than half the projects I've done, I've made them for myself. They haven't, didn't land on my lap. And the best ones, I actually built them <laughs> just from scratch and found somebody to believe in it. <laughs> and I think that tells a lot. It is. That is, I think, a, a the belief that there are things out there. I'm going to say this a different way. 
that the thing that you want is out there for the picking is less true than you are constantly in a state of creating the things that you want. You are bringing them into the world. And that is a creative act in and of itself, right? You're, you are <laughs> creating, your job doesn't exist. You go out and create the job that you want. You create the living, you create the life that you want. And if you're not designing, I mean, this is very much a theme of my book, Creative Calling. If, if you're not actively mm -hmm. designing your life, this shit doesn't happen by accident. This is, if you ask about the lifestyle design of the most happy and fulfilled and successful people, they created it. They had an image in their mind of what it would be like to do this thing. And then they've built a life that looks like this picture in their mind. Agree or disagree and go deeper hmm. on that. Yeah. I used to think, well, I'd say I'm in the middle right now. Very Swiss of me. I think that there are, there was a period in my life, and I'm not that old. I'm, I just turned 33. So there was a period in my 20s where I thought that I was the only responsible force, driving force for whatever happened to me. And I thought that was a bit, del you know, delusional and, and a bit, you know, yeah, ridiculous. So I, I've actually through, uh, what is it, this book called The Surrender Experiment. I don't know if you've read it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's the opposite theory of what you're saying. It's this guy, it's a real story. It's just like a biography of this guy who, you know, ends up having this massive company and building this very interesting life. And his theory was that he was just going to accept whatever came his way and lean into it. Just go with the energy. It's a very sort of spiritual book. And I think that among other readings like that has taught me that there are also other forces at play. And when sometimes I would have been like, something came my way, I've been like, no, not for me. Now I'm more like, hmm, let's see. You know, let's see how, if this is, there's a reason for this is for this coming here right now. So I'd say... I'd say that there there are things to consider, other forces to consider, and and seasons in life. At least for me, you know, in ten years, I'll probably have a totally different answer. But at the core, at the core of it, the root, yes, there is definitely a a phase where you're like thinking about, you know, I mean, I literally sat down and was like, who are the people I want to work with for the rest of my life? Just you know, wrote down Canon and other companies like that because like this is things that I use and respect and love. And then I just kind of went after them. That was really it. What about photography? Did it present to yourself, to you as obviously that was your area of interest and passion? Or I know you have some design experience mm. in your history. And, and how did you actually come up with the career that the best way for you to make money was to have commercial clients <laughs> and take pictures? Yeah, that was never clear, <laughs> obviously. There was no breakthrough where you understand everything. I'd say that photography to me is still an excuse to go somewhere, do something, write about something, or meet somebody. That's it, right? So to me, it's just this excuse, this vehicle to justify what I do. Because otherwise, I feel like there is no reason. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, when you start, you sit down and you're like, why go to Patagonia? Do we need... To go, you know, and I'm like, yes, I know why, because I want to meet this cowboy there. I want to make photos of this person. I want to come back with a story. That to me is enough to to get me out of bed every day, and that's what it's all about, you know. Staying in the long run in a creative career is difficult, I think, especially now because we're inundated with content, and 
you need things that get you out of bed, right? So I'm always looking for those things that I was like, well, this is what I got to do. This is, you know, and really quickly moving from idea to iteration. Even if it's, you know, maybe it was Tim Ferriss, your buddy Tim Ferriss was saying, you know, sometimes you don't have to commit to doing a whole series, a whole season of something. You can just commit to doing two for yourself, right? Two tests and see if, see if it works out. So that thing gives me a lot of freedom to be like, you know, I'm going to try this concept. I've shot, yeah, this is the series I'm working on. I've shot three times the whole thing. It took me three whole nights to do it. And I haven't shared anything because I don't think it's there yet. And I don't even know it's the right project now, <laughs> but at least I've tested it. Yeah, this idea of iterating and doing something, doing for the sake of doing, for the sake of experimenting. There's a, a beauty in most of the creative lives that I know well that that is a, a very common theme. Um, mm. I'm going to put a pin in this for a second because this, to me, leads us naturally to uh, an area that we neither of us have talked all that much about, but um, I alluded to it earlier you know, prior to us recording, I think at the very beginning that you created a company called Wildest and mm-hmm. uh, it, it was basically a, a, an online learning um, opportunity, a, a subscription and a set of classes or individual classes that you could purchase to learn about photography. And, yeah. and a couple months ago, we announced that Creative Live had acquired uh, Wildest mm-hmm. and taken the library that you and a handful of other talented, hardworking people, Laura and others, had built. And we were going to now host that on Creative Live. <clears throat> and so there is a similarity between our experiences, both as artists started out, you know, focused largely in photography and then went on to in parallel both you know creating uh learning platforms and i want to look at some similarities there really quickly and one of those is which and i think there's also some fun stories behind the scenes that i like to share with listeners these you know these things are always these are not hatched in a vacuum there's a lot of conversation with you know collaboration and uh conversations about these things prior to you know, creative live being a thing prior to wildest. I know we, we, I'm thinking specifically of uh, going out to lunch in Seattle with, you know, your, you and your wife and talking about this vision that you had for wildest and then it becoming true. I always love looking backwards on those things, but specifically you as an artist, I can say the same thing for me, but this is about you. So we're going to focus on that. You had a career as a photographer doing the things that we're talking about now. And then at some point you said, huh, I want to start a company. The company is a very different business model. It is, um, it is, there are very, there are some similarities in that they're both creative and they both have to do with photography, but it's a very different business to create a learning company and put videos online to teach other people what you know and be an independent artist. Those are very different. So two questions, why? as an independent, a thriving independent artist, did you start Wildest? We'll start there. Yeah, I feel like I had to. <laughs> I just had to. And it wasn't, again, that clear to me that it was going to become Wildest at the beginning. The December 2017, I just, November 2017, I brought two buddies, Joel Fuller and Will Biname, 
bless their hearts for helping me with that crazy idea. And I told them we're going to film this workshop. It's going to be called the Adventure Photography Workshop because people were asking me all these questions always, like the same questions over and over. I'm like, just put it on a video. That's really my idea. Just put it on a video. I can link to this video every time somebody asks me this question. So we filmed for four days in Montana here at home. And then I sent the, the I don't know, the 20 hours of footage to the craziest editor I know. It was called Julian Picha in Austria, who was an intern for me. And I was like, I need this edited in three days, cut down into this many episodes, this many hours. I will get working on the website. So pause there. I think I've always had good fortune selling physical products on my website. My first book really sold out really quickly and without a publisher or anything. So I always had and still have a good knack for packaging a product. But I think that's you know one of the things I can do well is to package it online, I would say. <laughs> I have no ambitions to package physically, although I'd love to. So just getting the right words in there that will sell the product just because it's built with a lot of empathy. I think there's empathy for other photographers because I heard the same question so many times. I know what to write. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is the solution, right? Any any product needs to have a promise. What is it going to solve for you? So uh, it's for me, it felt quite easy. So I made the website and then thousands of people ended up buying this first workshop really out of the blue. I was like, what? I was hoping a few hundred people would buy it. You know, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> I mean, it was a, a $150 product. So I was like, you know, the break-even point is very low. I always look for the break-even point, you know. <laughs> and that first workshop was produced with $10,000, right? <laughs> so the break-even point was selling very little units. I was very happy. And then, you know, I was like, okay, now that I've done this workshop, it's successful. I've, you know, I saved half the proceeds of it to make another one. That was my idea. It's like, hey, if, if I have had this sheet, you know, if we make this more sales, I'll, you know, I'll make a new workshop with somebody else because I feel like I've said what I had to say. Then I went on to see my friend Finn Beals and we made his workshop also a smashing hit. It's like, okay, who's next? And then that's how it sort of, and it wasn't my ambition actually, Chase, was not to make it into a company, it's to make it into little franchises, almost like movies, you know, collaborations. So it was like, we had, um, you know, Stroll X, there's always an X, you know, Stroll X, Finn Beals, Stroll X, Benjamin Hardman, whatever. So it was, it was this, and every, every, it was a terrible IT idea because every workshop had its own website and its own audiences. <laughs> it was just a madness, but it felt very boutique. And I think those people loved it because they felt like this was a one-off product and there's not going to be, it's not, we have, we're the opposite of a template. And I think that's what attracted you back in the, in those days is that everything felt so, you know, in the field, we were through we're making it very painful on ourselves to make them, right? Had to go to Portugal, Iceland, get stuck in frozen rivers just to make these workshops, right? We're actually living the thing. So that's really how it started and then became Strollworks. Had to hire a team to help me develop it. Uh, Graham, well, Graham McDonald to just run this whole thing. Talia Heck was the first real hire, just trying to wrangle all the creators and get the contracts signed and get the classes moving. Tucker McDonald, who's, you know, working on the development of the website. So this this was the OG team, you know, that stuck with me till the end, really. And then, you know, later down the road, when I hired Laura Smaustig, who was from Artifact Uprising, to make Strollworks, this little thing we had sort of jury-rigged together into a proper company with a proper brand, that's when she came in and became Wildest. But man, yeah. Excuse me, I'm no, why, did, about why, it. Though, why did you do that? Why did you do that? 
Is it just another well, product? Like I need to sell another product. And instead of making another print on my website, I'm going to sell a instruction. Or did you think, you know what, this, I have knowledge and this knowledge is valuable. So I'm going to make a course. Or was it like, Hey, let's, this is an experiment, like a Tim Ferriss mm. thing. And, you know, you know, or geez, well, I, want, I want to make money while I'm sleeping because me carrying a camera <laughs> around, there's yeah. only so many of me and there's only so many hours. Totally. Like, totally. And people are not stupid. So really the, Part of the equation, obviously, was, yes, this is a profitable enterprise which has no cost once the product is made. It is made and people download it for, you know, there's no cost for me selling a unit of it because it's an online product. So, yes, obviously, there was some of that. And that's what allowed us to, you know, afford, I think still, like, the, the, the money was a side product because I liked what I could do with it, which was build this cool office downtown and then have, you know, this cool space for the team to hang out and film there, have coffees, you know, <laughs> we were just half the time, we we're just drinking coffee and spitballing shit. So <laughs> that's what I really liked really is to build this sort of this space for people, you know, and half the town would stop by for coffee every day. So if I got half an hour of work every day done, that was a miracle. <laughs> say free coffee. Yeah. So that was the, that was really the why I'd say, yeah, sure. You can make money obviously, but it's what, the lifestyle that it afforded, which to me was always to spend time with, with fun people. It is interesting how much people play a role in the decisions of what we do. And I think specifically the people who um, create a job around the things that they love. There's, it's not just the things There are so many people get getting to work with and collaborate. And plus, you know, then the benefit of, you know, um, zero marginal cost to sell digital goods, et cetera. So let's just say you have sufficiently answered the question, why? Let's go down <laughs> to the next level, which is, okay, then you decided to make a company out of it. And I'm going to tell the story that you were in Seattle for, I think it was a friend's wedding. You mm -hmm. said you and Andrea are in town and want to get some, uh, some lunch or some something. French, French baguettes. Yes, we went to get some French baguettes. So I threw out the uh, best little French cafe that I know for lunch, um, which is Le Pichet here in Seattle. And uh, mm. we met there and had some, I don't know, French onion soup and baguettes um, with some Paris ham and some good cheese, <laughs> maybe a salad verte or two. And I remember <laughs> you asking, and for, for any questions, I... Uh, you should give a little bit about your backstory where you're born and raised. So the, all this, there's context here. You mentioned Swiss earlier. We've got, you know, France is obvious. Uh, we, we'll talk about that separately, but we, so we meet at this cafe, we have some food and you share with me the story. You're like, so I've been doing these stroll works things and you know, the last few are, have been good. And I know you, created creative live and you know what if you know i was going to do this you know do you think it's a good idea what are the hard points going to be and so what made you want to to get lunch and ask those questions and more importantly in, in the macro make a company out of a number of these one-offs as you described these boutiques that were quite successful why did you want to make a company was it opportunity based was it you know you wanted to get your education out there like what are some of the reasons that you wanted to do this i want to know the it was, why. It was very that's what this is yeah whether you're a photographer or a designer or a painter or a 
you know, a mechanic, uh, and you're, you're interested in being in business for yourself, I want to answer the question for everybody. So why? Yeah, it was just an ambitious thing. You know, it's like, you know, this is the time, right? The time felt right. Let's see how far we can take this. You know, let's see if we can get a million customers kind of thing. I was really that, you know, it's like fully into founder stories. And it's like, if there's a time, this feels like it. Let's give it a good try, you know, let's give it all. That was it. It was just ambition for me and everybody else involved. Trying to build something bigger, come together. Um, if what role did the financial aspect of it play or the making money while you're sleeping aspect were those uh, meaningful considerations or were those so far down the list that it wasn't even part of the consideration? It, it was one aspect, although I wasn't drawing much of much of a salary at that time because we were just investing everything in growth. So no, it wasn't even, even for that. It was mostly to the, the challenge of positioning this product, this school, this online school in, in, a, in a way that would bring as many people as we could, right? That was the challenge for me is to bring people in. So, you know, it was more like the love of the game in a way than the money itself. Sure, I know that at the end, if we do it properly, you know, the, the, the financial models were, were forecasted and written up and there was an interesting exit for me to be able to retire. Got it. Well, fast forward uh, a few years and, you know, 20 something workshops, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken and mm -hmm. um, we at Creative Live had already been acquired by Fiverr and it was my uh, task as the CEO of Creative Live inside of Fiverr to dramatically increase the amount of content that we were producing and um, I'm not I think we had a similar conversation to our first one like hey I'm, I'm thinking about doing this thing what are the pitfalls and we went out to lunch and I think we went to lunch again or maybe it was a virtual lunch. We got together for a virtual coffee and you said, cool, I think I'm, this thing may have run its course. And uh, I, at that point suggested that um, maybe a great place to land while this would be at, uh, at creative live. Do you remember how that panned out? I forget <laughs> how we actually uh, got together and started talking about that. Yeah. You, when, when we met in Seattle, when we met, you raised a few, you know, concerns, which was, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep acquiring customers, right? At some point, you're going to run out of them because <laughs> it's not an easy thing, right? And it was like, okay, good, let's see. And then, you know, the two years down the road, I'm like, yeah, I think we're at the stage where it's hard to gain new customers because X, Y, and Z reasons, right? You know, I haven't seen the market as it really is. We have, we've had boosted artificial numbers because of the pandemic, what, that, you know. So 2021 was super strong. We're like, oh, what's up with 2022? <laughs> so that we have had all these, oh, 2020 was big, 2021 was harder. So I think it was a combination of those things. So I was like, hmm, well, I want to find a place for this, you know, a place that makes sense for all these people that have believed in, in this project, right? I feel like I owe, you know, I owe it to everybody involved, every, all the teachers, all the students. I need to find a place where this continues to live, right? Because I don't see how we can continue, you know, successfully adding things. You know, we you get you get caught into this circle of, you know, we have to release new content all the time, right? And then 
you have to be really careful about what you put out, right? And we've always been very strict with that. So we weren't churning out content as fast as we should have. So we got caught in the, between a rock and a hard place, which is way more money for more content, but we need more time for more content. So it's just one of those, like chicken and the egg. So, you know, blame it on, on, on me, really, to not, you know, align that properly. Um, so I was like, you know, we have to find a solution for this because I need this to live on. And then how did that happen? Was Did you remember? I, I don't remember. Yeah, I think I just called you. Or something, or maybe we were texting each other. Yeah. Well, I just I was, called the eyes in France. Being the a really good, it ended up being a really good, uh, really good how, home, I think, for Wildest. Um, oh, yeah. Rather than getting any deeper into the nuance of Wildest specifically or Creative Live, um, what I'm going through this process right now, having just left Creative Live again, but, you know, mm. launched it, built it, yeah. grew it. <laughs> yeah. Had it it's pretty fresh for you. Ha, ha, yeah ha, had it acquired by a public company and then you know worked inside that public company making the the that division of it successful and not being you know a person who's long-term employment prospects inside of that that was never sort of the ambition but then moving on so i'm currently wrestling with the closing i guess not wrestling it's it's just passed but putting a nice little bow on previous chapters of our lives. And I have come through in my, through my age or wisdom to understand that life is long and has many chapters and starting to understand how and when to close them. So I'm curious, you know, what your, your reflections were when you decided that, um, you know, or, or how did you feel about wrapping up a particular chapter? In this case, I'm using wildest as an example. Uh, and I'm asking this question because I feel like a lot of people who are listening and watching are likely straddling too many things. They need to shut a few things down in their life, you know, give that a, you know, a storybook ending, even if it's an abrupt one and just move on. And so how did mm. you, or have you, have you compartmentalized this? How have you packaged? Have you, what, what stories have you told yourself about this process and, you know, closing one chapter so that you can move on to the next one. Yeah. I don't know that I have done the best job at that. I just, for me, I'm a very factual guy, right? I'm like the day that wildest.co stops working, it's over. So when that day happened, I'm like, all right, this is it. So to me, it's very, very tangible things. Wildest.co doesn't work. My email doesn't work there. Great. We've moved on. It's, you know, it's in capable hands. It's, you know, out of my head now. I can go do other things. It's a beautiful thing. You, you're going to go through this, you know, to, to find closure, right, for something. It's like a breath of fresh air and you give yourself time, a couple months even, to see what, what's next. And that's a, it's a wonderful place to be. But for me, closure is it's tied to this physical thing, specific things that, you know, no longer, no longer function technically. And the stories. You know, the stories that I've told myself, um, well, I really want to take, you know, full responsibility for what happened, right? As the guy who kind of started it with, with Laura, I feel like, you know, it's it's definitely mistakes, right? So I feel, I feel at peace with that, at least, you know, <laughs> I sort of forgive myself. That's it. What about... Um... 
what have you learned from this? You know, and I'm trying to think of this through the lens of artist, creator, entrepreneurial, as someone who actually creates businesses that run parallel to your overall creative life, you maybe have partners and you grow something while you are maintaining your own life. And this is a, you know, maybe you're a letterpress person and you launch a letterpress company with your friend and you have a business and you mm. grow that business. And then at the end you decide, okay, cool. We need to go our separate ways or the business is done or I yeah. want to do something different. Um, what have you learned? What what are your takeaways from that process of yeah, building, uh, building a company as something that's off sh- shot off from a passion? I think there are a few things. The first one being that you have to hire people who are have different skill sets than you do, who complete you know your downfalls. Really, um, that's the biggest probably. Um, second, I think it's ideally it's better to not start these kind of enterprises with really close friends. Because it's, I don't know, I don't think it's, it's, it's necessary or even beneficial. It's probably the opposite. Too much intimacy. Um, I think it's good to have boundaries, right? I don't want everybody that I work with to be my friend. <laughs> you know, we're just collaborating on a project, and sure, we can go have some beers, but it's it's good also to have boundaries. I think, um, and. If I had to do, probably will end up doing a few more of these sort of side ventures. So it's making time for photography, I would say. That's the biggest thing, right? Because, uh, you know, during the sort of busy, wildest years, Soulworks wildest years, I wasn't shooting as much. And I think that always for me, the most beneficial thing I can be doing for my life and career is to be out making photos and collecting stories and bringing those back and presenting them to people. So, would, so it, would that be considered a distraction then what you've just done starting this hmm. other business or would you say was it worth it? In the, the jury's out. The jury's out. For me, it was totally worth it. Yeah. No, I would, I would, if I, if, you know, if I was to go back, I would do it again. <laughs> so no, they're not distractions. I think there are things that enrich the, the enrich your life and teach you new things. Right. All right. We're going to pause all the work talk. And right now there are, Again, creators, entrepreneurs, people who are trying to get businesses off the ground. And it's difficult because there are not a lot of hours in the day. And Mm. you, as a new parent, um, you split time between Montana and Europe. You, Mm. you know, with with, um, just a lot of outside, you know, family commitments. How do you, you know, start and grow the business? How do you maintain, you know, is, is balance a myth? Is it more harmony? Like, how do you make all these things work? Because I know there are people listening right now that want to do all this. Oh, travel. You mentioned, you know, Patagonia and Switzerland. And you've already, you know, dropped some big names and gone to crazy places in Iceland and blah, blah, blah. And, and yet you've got, a, you know, you've got a wife, life partner, mm. you've got a new baby, you've got, you know, multiple residences. How, how do you wrangle it all? Mm. I think for us is really remembering where we're coming from, you know, where we're from. So my wife and I, Andrew and I met in Canada. We're both not Canadian. We're both French. So we're both on the road, quote unquote. So that's where we're from. 
you know, we're like salmons. <laughs> you just go up and going up the stream always. So we have to keep that in mind. And the baby, Mia, who just turned five months old, she's just along for the ride. And it's a selfish thing to say, but she really is born in a place that's different than most, I think. And my ambition, our ambition, is that she's along for the ride with us. And, you know, it's one of these things that, and again, we're getting into a bit of parenting talk. You know, you go one night, you go to a restaurant with your baby and it, it's angry because it's loud here. It's different than my house. I don't like it. So she kind of makes your dinner experience a bit um, terrible. Fine. But what if you go, and this is a, this is a concept, a friend of mine, Isaac, uh, has, you know, has brought up on me who's raised two girls, right? He's like, what if you go 10 nights in a row to that same restaurant, a baby... 9-11, if you take it home, it's going to be quite angry. It's like, where's everybody? Where's all the noise? This I don't like this house. So it's a perspective thing, really. So I want that same idea for her of getting used to very different things that to the point where being, you know, obviously babies need routines, etc. I obviously understand that. But it's, you know, pushing through some things where the, the baby's going to be a bit of a pain in the ass at some point. It's worth it because in the long run, you know, it's been exposed to all these things and we'll have hopefully a more rich life thanks to that. So the short answer is really we we want her to be along for the ride and come with us wherever she can. So if I go to Patagonia for work, I want everybody to come with me. So is that a is that a characteristic that you are um I don't want to, that you are sort of embedding in her life is sort of uh, flexibility and adaptability. And are those characteristics that you, would you consider those value personal values that you are through that mentality that you just shared with us, like, and, and, you know, imparting to your, to Mia. Yeah. My ambition is that she's the citizen of the world. <laughs> it sounds, uh, sounds a bit, you know, I don't know, ridiculous, but that's the, that's really my ambition. That's how I feel. It's, I don't really feel home anywhere. And for some people that's terrifying to me, it's the best. Cause I'm like, I'm home everywhere, right? If you're home anywhere, you're home everywhere. And that's what I really savor. You know, I don't go anywhere for less than a month, right? I don't travel for like three days. I just hate that kind of stuff. I want to feel like a local. I want to pick up my routines and I end up with like this database of beautiful experience I've had in so many different countries. And they felt like home for a month or two. So that's what I I want her to experience, is how to feel like a local wherever she goes. Mm. And yet you have to have a house, right? She's going to go to school. She, you are currently at your home. The Nook, N-O-O-Q on... Q, uh, yes. Q on Instagram, at, at N-O-O-Q <laughs> on Instagram. Um and you know why montana if you want to be a citizen mm. of the planet you know why montana was it just a curious landing place that was uh you like the weather <laughs> my dad my dad studied in the in missoula just three hours south of here in the 60s so i really grew up hearing stories about montana seeing photo albums that he shot of the backcountry and skiing and bears and old motorcycles well new motorcycles back then old now so it's, it's always been embedded in me, this idea of true wilderness that does not exist anymore in Europe. So that's what brought us here is really this seeking what true wilderness is. So yeah, for now, me, we have a couple of years until she goes to school, right? 
going to use those. What are you going to do in those years? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The you know the really really we have to, you know we're we're still learning this. I'm an amateur parent, right? I'm a Sunday parent. I'm still trying to learn the the ways of this, but definitely want to expose her to all these different things as she opens up to the world. I think it's going to be super interesting, but definitely want to be as close as possible, you know, to the family instead of. I think nowadays you can bring everybody with you. What what's what what are some parallels between raising Mia and growing a new career? <laughs> wow, it's a deep question, Chase. We're not here. For the light, we're not here for the lightweight stuff, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're uh, someone's gonna have to bring a Jean a Jean Bonbeur here for uh, pretty soon. That's how deep we're going <laughs> with an Earl Grey tea. <laughs> I think uh, the parallels. Well, okay. Obviously, it's a it's an everyday affair, right? You see the results in in the long term. You know, the hours feel terribly slow, but the years feel, you know, blazing fast. I think that's the bottom line with anything you do. You know, it's gonna suck to some nights when baby doesn't want to sleep or whatever. You're tired. Same thing with your enterprises, right? So some days you're going to be buried in some accounting mistake that is upsetting some other accountant and it's all the end of the world. And, you know, in a few years, you'll just be looking back at those things being like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, you know, whatever. I almost forgot. <laughs> so I think that's it really is, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time, uh, trying to enjoy the present moment because that is, you know, being present is, I think, is what the definition of happiness is there an element of your job where you're you know chasing that presence or that moment that happiness is that an accident that you're a photographer and you just happen to be aware of <laughs> the moments or all we have or is that by design I mean I think photography is a wonderful tool cuz it freezes moments right <laughs> it freezes the present each time so you can look back at it that's what i love about it it's my external memory i forget a lot of things I feel like I do a lot of things, too many sometimes. So, so luckily I have photos to remember. I say that's what it does for me, photography. It's just memory. The industry has obviously changed. Uh, and I think we mm. can say this about any creative industry. Um, photography, you know, building a business, design, being a contractor, uh, building homes <laughs> or mm. you know, everything's, you talk about having your sauna. <laughs> built um, God, my sauna <laughs> we could talk about those but one of the ways that it's changed is um getting your own stories told or sharing the world sharing your stories with the world how have you adapted well besides we can talk about several things right but the bottom line is that there is, as usual, room for stories, right? <laughs> Sometimes when you, you know, I do, I teach these photography retreats in Montana when, you know, groups come, uh, groups of 10, you know, and we talk about, photog about photography for five days. And sometimes their favorite thing is some anecdote that I've shared, right? Just a good story. That's something to always remember <laughs> as somebody who creates things is that a good story is, can have so much power, you know, big ideas, you can also call it, right? So the 
the elements, the, the foundations are the same, which is stories are still things are important and are the, the foundation of what I do. Uh, sharing ideas really through stories, just sort of wrapping ideas into stories. Um, and then the mediums ha- are evolving, right? Not in the best way, if you ask my opinion, <laughs> like with the advent of of TikTok and Instagram becoming like TikTok, which are, you know, Instagram is a place that I used to spend a lot of time on, just talking to people and discovering new work. And it's a bit more difficult now as an experience, really. So it seems like the the ways to, to do that are changing. But to me, if looking at what's ahead, I still think YouTube and a good old newsletter are still you know, are right now for me the hottest things. So almost going the opposite direction. Yeah, I do think that I keep saying, it's been saying for five years, I want to have a newsletter. (laughs) And I've, you know, I've wrote a couple occasionally, but never seriously because I haven't committed. But I'm, I want to find that, that rhythm of, you know, banking out a newsletter every month about, doesn't have to be about a lot of things, could just be some photos, um, I do think that I enjoy that because it's a very quiet medium. You just get it in your inbox. Granted, you have some decent inbox management skills. It's a nice place to be. There's some photos. There's no ads. There's nothing moving there. You can just look at it and be done with it. So I enjoy reading newsletters and I enjoy watching things on YouTube, especially if you have YouTube premium, there's no ads either. So that is what I will be spending more time on. Interesting. So is that because the newsletter, for example, is that a wholly owned audience as well? You have the relationship with them and it's not mediated by a platform that you are beholden to? Mm. Or or is it the fact that you like writing and reading words? No, I don't really care who owns the thing. Back in 2014, I went to this travel bloggers conference in Toronto called TBEX. And I met some uh, very prominent travel bloggers who were like, what are you doing on Instagram? You don't own the audience. You're crazy. They own your photos and all these sort of words of cautionary tales. I shouldn't be using it. <laughs> and to me, I was like, no, 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 no. I think you guys don't understand what's going on. There's a movement here. So I think that I had a, a better intuition that they had. But now we're at this place where <laughs> I, I am going the direction they were going back then. Uh, but I think I still enjoy the benefit of of the tool. So, you know, of the ride, of the network effect, because there is no network effect on a newsletter. So there is still, there's way more internet users at the end of the day than there was 10 years ago. So anything can become, you know, it's not very hard now for any app to have 100 million users. I mean, it's not very hard. It is quite hard, but not as hard as it was. So there is a lot of people that I'm saying, you know, like there is way more people who are interested in the same things you are. So for me, I'm going to try, instead of going sort of the width, I'd like to go depth, you know, deeper into things. This is a pattern that I have seen repeatedly from people on the show and Mm. creators who become more comfortable over time. The irony is that being a generalist, being having a wide skill set and being good at a lot of things is a great way to make a living. For me, I find it interesting to be able to write books, take photos, you know, host shows, Mm -hmm. uh, do television, make videos, you know, whatever. The, the, The variety is interesting to me. But I find that that can only be successful if you've really gone deep 
into something. So do you mm-hmm. feel like at this point in your career, you have already gone deep in photography and now you're exploring more depth or what's the relationship between this depth that you just spoke about and my philosophy here on once you've gone deep in something, everything else becomes a little bit easier or more, more enjoyable. Help me understand. Hmm. That. Yeah. I, I do think that being quite present and vocal about, you know, photography throughout the years has put me in a place where it affords me the luxury to go explore other topics because I've already sort of established my little corner of the internet with, with my photography and my thoughts. And there's people who like that. So that is the result of, you know, seven years of really nonstop focusing on that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a benefit, right? Maybe I remember Chris Burkhart talking about that years ago. Maybe he's changed his views on it. Actually, we should ask him, but saying that, you know, if you want to make it in photography, you have to be known for one thing. And I'm just kind of badly quoting him. It was like, so, you know, I was the surf guy. That's what got me, you know, established. Now I can expand into other topics, actually. So maybe it's the opposite of what you're describing, which for him, it was deep dive into surfing. And after that, now he's branching out into making movies. And No, that's exactly, very... that's, that's exactly <laughs> okay. the description. You have to go deep okay. in something. And once you've gone deep, that yes. allows you to then leverage across other things. But it's a pattern. Find- yeah, it is a pattern. And once I find, you know, I've, I've, this is a pattern with guests on the show. And what I find a lot of upcoming artists, they want to be able to do all of the things or more <laughs> fear driven. They, I want to be able to make money. If you'll give me money to hop on one leg and take a picture or write a story or build you a house or like, I'm willing to do anything for money. Therefore, they are just like generalist um to the max and therefore develop very little or struggle to develop uh traction in any one thing because they dabble in so many so that is a trend that i see as a, a challenge and so my advice is always to go deep and it sounds like you're agreeing with that yes it's like a restaurant right if you and i go to a restaurant again to stay in the topic of food you know, where are we going to go? For especially <laughs> for a Frenchman. <laughs> deep one. Oh, mon dieu, mon dieu. If we go to a restaurant, you know, one that has 10 menu items and one that has 50 menu items, you know, which one are we, are we going to go back to? Right? That's the thing. So it's inspired by perhaps maybe Japan, the Japanization of the world has something to do with it. You know, the fact that that culture, Japanese culture, seems to really salute and respect people who go very deep into one specific thing. This sort of craftsmanship approach, you know, what can you offer to the world? So, yes, I'm definitely agreeing with that. And I think the world of food provides a lot of inspiration. Yeah, you don't want to go to the place that serves uh, sushi and pizza and burgers and burgers (laughs) and pasta. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not that. Yeah. The less menu items, the better, honestly. I like when there's like a day menu, a menu du jour, and this already done for me. And it's like, all right, I'll just have that then. It's wonderful to just be in the hands of a, of a, of a creative chef that can take you. So I want to be the same person, really. You know, let, let me trust, you know, just trust me. I'll bring you something that you're going to enjoy. I love that. That is very much, uh, I'm the same way with, with restaurants, omakase in Japanese culture, you know, letting the sushi mm. chef decide what your meal is going to be based on what, what uh, he, she, they have in the counter or in the, in the case <laughs> there. Um, all right. Um, 
one of the things that I'm a, a series of questions that I'm asking myself, I'm working on a new book right now. I'm, oh. I am um, deep in the investigation of this for myself and for many of my friends, which makes me want to present this question to you. What there's this difference that I'm, I'm trying to uncover this relationship between fulfillment and success. And I'm wondering if you can share with me your, your thoughts, having, you know, I, I, I've given you no insight that I was going to ask you this question. It's not meant to be a whopper by any stretch. It's just talk to me about when I say those two words, success uh, and fulfillment, what's the relationship between those? Hmm. Well, traditional approach would start with defining both words according to you, right? So why don't we go with that? <laughs> success, okay, if we go really high level, success for me would be being recognized for something. Okay. Okay, we're not going with the dictionary. And then fulfillment would be personally satisfied with something. Two different things. However, I think, I believe that fulfillment can yield, can lead to success, but not the other way around. Right? If you're, you know, if you're really satisfied with the canoe paddles you make, and somebody finds out, <laughs> and you know, takes them to wider audiences, you'll be recognized for those paddles, but you'll still be fulfilled. You're just still making the same paddles. At that stage, you'll be successful. And fulfilled, but if you, if you, but then the question is like, can you garner success without being fulfilled? Probably. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm really interested in that relationship, as I just shared, and the way that you're talking mm. about it is a way that I've also explored it. Like, if you chase success, and this is a, again a recurring pattern that is is emerged from the show, and this emerged from my conversations with many of the highest performing people across all sorts of different disciplines. If you pursue mm -hmm. success, outward recognition, basically at some point there's a reconciliation of that outward recognition of your success, as you said, to be known for something or recognized or whatever, um, that that in and of itself does not provide fulfillment. That's sort of an ego cycle that um, may leave you rich and famous, but, out of touch. And I think mm -hmm. you know, Tony Robbins, and I've talked to Tony about this, and I think the way he describes it is the success without fulfillment is like hell because everything mm. looks good on the outside and on the inside. You, you don't have a real relationship with yourself. Um, so I, I think there's something about this. You just talked about like that success is a sort of external validation and recognition based on a set of criteria that society develops. And fulfillment is sort of an inner peace an inner connection an inner satisfaction with a station in in life i think fulfillment you can control better mm. you know maybe if you had to break down how to be fulfilled you could just say that you should focus on the efforts not on the results you know <laughs> for example like focus on your efforts about i don't know what your ambitions are if you want to be the best well, that's the thing. There you go. You can't be the best. <laughs> it's, that's not a metric you can hit. Maybe, I think, yeah, it goes down to metrics then. Maybe you want to make the highest backflip of 
it's ever made. I think that's easier to measure, right? That's something that could fulfill you, the process of that, right? The highest backflip that has ever been done. Uh, that could also give you some success. But I think you have to set up the metrics for yourself. And, and at least for fulfillment is something you can control better than success. Success cannot be controlled by you. Yeah, there's too many external forces. And that, that's part of what creates mm. a little bit of suffering in the world. I'll say a lot of suffering. Totally. Is, you know, this outward this desire for outward recognition. And there's so many things that are beyond your control versus this inner dialogue, inner um, experience that we're trying to have. Or maybe we're not trying to have, but we ought to be spending more time trying to have. Um. Mm. Well, again, I, I promised to keep our conversation to an hour and we're there, but I, I wanted to ask a couple of follow-up questions. These are just um, ways to help our audience stay in touch with you. Um, I know wildest.co for those folks who are subscribers now redirects to Creative Live and congrats again on, on that. It was a fun deal to get done prior to my exit from Creative Live. A last little hurrah to, was to to uh, get to yeah. collaborate with you and Laura on that, getting Wildest to a new home. Um, so thanks for seeing that. Oh, ha happy, happy man. And so Wildest.co was that the thing we spoke about earlier. Um, you know, we talked about uh, a couple of other things, but maybe you could point to some of your social handles or other ways or places that you would direct people's attention so the community can support you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just stay consistent. You got to go to my YouTube. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. It's all the same anyway. It's at Alex Troll YouTube. Uh, there's no ads on YouTube, but you understand, you know, forward slash Alex Troll. Uh, S-T-R-O-H-L. Not an easy one. And then same for Instagram. And then alexstroll.com is my website where the newsletter is. You know, if you, if you believe in my project, you should sign up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> that'll encourage me and then um yeah that's a, that that is it really um i'm going to be launching a couple more uh, self-published magazines some zines photo zines in this fall winter so that'll be under the adventure buddies banner adventure buddies dot xyz oh adventure buddies yeah Tom, say one more thing about these zines what, what can you expect from these zines oh the zines, I mean, the first one, it was the, you know, riding my gravel bike across Montana with my buddy Isaac Johnston. That's come out. The next ones are going to be about Iceland. They're going to be about Washington, the Northern Cascades, and uh, Montana. So there is no shortage of zines coming out. Maybe this is my new franchise, Adventure Buddies. Yeah, just, just adventures I do with people that turn into zines, really. Um, most of them shot on film. Wow, actual film. Yeah. Actual film. Yeah. Well, it's really fun. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> no, it's really fun to make those things, right? I think I actually have a proper um I have a proper description of what Adventure Buddies is that I actually want to use for this event if I can remember it. There you go. Adventure Buddies, the road to friendship is a small batch photography zin for lovers of adventure travel and analog photography. There you go. That was what Adventure Buddies is in a nutshell. If you like those things, go check it out. Alex, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Always nice to have you. Congratulations on your success. And baby Mia, who's now five months old and slept soundly through the entire show. Yes, Mia. <laughs> awesome. She's a good so baby. Andrea as well. And uh, 
when we launch this thing, we share this with the world. We'll let you know. Very excited. We'll snap a few things, a few words of wisdom out there. Thanks again for being a guest and uh, enjoy this fine, I might even call it fall, but I know it's still late summer uh, day in Montana. I'm sure it's spectacular. Thanks, brother. Hope to see you in Seattle soon enough. Thanks for having me. Until next time, bud, from uh, myself and from Alex Stroll, uh, you're listening to the show, Chase Jarvis Live Show, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts and feedback. Until next time, from Alex and I, we bid you adieu. Ciao, ciao. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>